take the mark. Oh, he's a light, Gary Ablett. Look at this. Here is the magician at work. He shoots towards goal. What more can you say? Hargraves kicks inside the 50. Bounces in front of Burns. Burns magnificently. This deserves a goal. And he's got it. What a classic. Inboard, awkward kick by Colbert. Half, half, ball, 50-50. Riccardi, brilliant. What a goal this will be. Magic. Free of the tackle and Roof rolls it along the line. Oh. That is amazing. Martin, in comes Doggan once again. Doggan streaks goalwards, he kicks. He's got a through. Steve Johnson, another one who the Cats will be hoping gets up today. Ooh, and again there's a turnover. And Edwards, the little genius, drives it home. It's the Cat's Whiskers. Thanks for joining us on the Cat's Whiskers for another week. I'm Wes Cusworth. It's great to have you listening, whether you're hearing us on Sport FM 91.3 in Perth or through any of a range of podcast platforms. Let's meet this week's panel. Anthony Petkovic, as we record, it's been announced that Geelong will fly in, fly out for Thursday night's game in Adelaide. But is it a level playing field for both sides? Well, the South Australian clubs have been able to prepare as they normally would. Geelong's preparation has been uh, extremely curtailed. It's not a level playing field. The integrity of the competition is a little bit at risk at the moment because you have some clubs affected and some clubs are not. But it might do Geelong a little bit of a favour. We know our record in uh, the games after the bye has been thoroughly dreadful under the Chris Scott regime. The great coach has been unable to fix the problem. Um, but at least in recent times, he's admitting that we do have one. And we all know that the key to solving a problem is first admitting that you have one. So maybe this uh, adversity will, uh, will bind Geelong together and they'll come up with a much-needed win after the bye. Well, the other boys might have some thoughts on the uh, success after the bye as well. But I do want to ask Mark Browning, by way of introduction, We pleaded with our Western Australian friends to support the Dreamtime game at Optus Stadium. It was largely unnecessary because it quickly sold out. You must have been pretty impressed with that response. Uh, Good evening, Wes. Yeah, look, I think for a a non-Geelong buy round, it's been one of the best rounds of footy I've ever seen. And the highlight, obviously, being in Perth. It was a fantastic spectacle. I was really pleased that they saw a cracking game of football. Um, and, yeah, all credit to the Western Australian um, footballing public. Uh, just looked brilliant. And, and the whole thing went off like a treat. Welcome to you, Mark Brunga. I know you've had some strong thoughts on the fabulous response to the Dreamtime game also. Do you think this adds a little bit of weight to any sort of argument Western Australia might have for a grand final over there if the MCG is uh, not able to be used because of the pandemic? 
Uh, good evening, Wes. Good evening, panel. Good evening, listeners. Uh, look, I, I think it it, it does. Uh, certainly, uh, this year uh, Queensland a little, have been a little bit more reticent and hard to, harder to deal with in terms of uh, quarantine measures and, and so on. So uh, they're certainly not doing themselves any favours up there this year. Uh, Sydney are being quite welcoming, and uh, I, I wouldn't personally give anything to Sydney if I had the choice. Um, but also. Look, I'm a big rap for, for South Australia too. The Adelaide Oval is is just a magnificent venue and uh, great for football. They're a traditional football state, but so too are, are Western Australia. And that magnificent Optus Stadium over there is is state of the art. It uh, it looks impressive. The uh, the uh, the aesthetics of the ground are quite quite pleasing as well. And uh, the only the only fear that I would have is that if it was played in WA, that that Mark McGowan might call a snap lockdown and we'd all be stuck there. But uh, apart apart from that, um, I'd probably lean towards WA too because, you know, I'm a Victorian and I really don't like South Australians much, so I wouldn't want to give it to the Adelaide Oval just out of pure spite. We could use the other MCG, the Moriac Cricket Ground. There's been no COVID in Moriac and uh, it's ready for action come September. Have they finished doing the drainage out there? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's been a 10-year job. <laughs> Oh, we saw some good football out there with our youngsters as uh, junior footballers, didn't we, Anthony Peck? We certainly uh, did. That is for another podcast. That one, that might be the the father advice podcast that we can provide or something of that nature. But um, more importantly, this is the Cat's Whiskers podcast. Coming up is our first ever return guest, and he is going back-to-back weeks. It's John Peak because we just had so many questions to ask him that were left unasked after last week's performance and it's fascinating to hear and learn so much more about the recruiting game that's coming up after the break welcome back to the cat's whiskers with too many questions left unasked last week this week's guest is once again footy recruiter of 25 years experience john peak John has authored a paper on football recruitment focused on four key pillars, and thanks to his generosity, we thought we could continue to tease out the key elements of what AFL clubs are looking for as they seek to bring tomorrow's superstars into the game. Well, John, absolutely great to have you back. You uh, really uh, gave us a lot to uh, talk and think about last week on the show, and uh, we've brought you back for for part two. Uh, Welcome back as our first uh, second-time guest on the Cat's Whiskers. Oh, well, thanks very much, Mark. As I said, it was a great privilege to be asked again. Yeah, we'll see how we go, so thank you. Well, let's let's kick off with it with an interesting one. There's been some some talk in recent weeks, and uh, it's centered around Jack Rewalt uh, at Richmond in terms of potentially maybe uh, saying to him what Hawthorne said to uh, Luke Hodge a few years ago, and that is that you know maybe it's time that you looked at other options and, and move on. And um, it sort of stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest among um, AFL reporters. What is the secret to to having someone on your list that uh, you know that's been well decorated and and is one of the the legends of the club in in being able to to make the decision to to potentially move them on? Yeah, look, that is a very hard one, Mark. Um, I'm probably maybe the wrong person to ask that because I'm a little bit of the Mark Thompson school. Um, they're great players for your club. And on, to start and finish at your club, I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist with that. I know the competition's changing and it's a business and um, 
with all that. I, I, I would be sorry to see Jack move to another club. Um, I think if I think of the Luke Hodge one, I think that was a little bit different. I think Hodge was probably retiring and then talked back into coming. Correct me if I'm wrong there. So I'm, I'm, I would like to see great players, uh, which Jack has been for Richmond, finish at Richmond. I don't, I don't like the um, cold bloodness of uh, maybe them going to another club. Different if Jack retired and, 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 and they came to a mutual agreement and say, um, a Gold Coast think, oh, well, let's get Jack for a year and as a coaching role or something. I think Stevie J possibly fitted into that category with GWS. Um, so, so it's a bit of um, case by case. But in, unless Jack really agreed to it and it was a future for him as in coaching, I'd like him to see him finish at Richmond. Yeah. Well, John, my, my first question to you is a bit more general, but it kind of links into that because the four of us have all been one team supporters, I presume, yeah. for our whole lives and will never change. You could torture yeah. us and we'd still be cat supporters. <laughs> but there's a lot of people in the AFL that move from club to club. How like, who, who do you support on a particular day? Like, if Essendon, you were at work at Essendon and St Kilda, if Essendon yep. are playing to St Kilda, do you have one team you prefer over the other? How do you support a team? Like, who would Michael Malthouse support uh, each weekend? Because he, he's been at six clubs. Probably not Carlton, I suppose, but anyway. Yeah, um, I'm a, yeah, I can't talk for Michael Malthouse. It might be what happened at that particular club, Mark. For me personally, uh, because I'm a bit recruiting-based and passionate about it, I look at a club and if I sort of agree, it sounds a bit uh, uh, conceited, doesn't it, uh, or egotistical, if I sort of like what they're doing, that's probably a better way to put it, I support them, if that makes sense. So when St Kilda, um, not necessarily, I wasn't for taking some of those senior players and the money they're paying them, um, I was a bit against that. But if I see, say, Essendon that um, have brought in some really young kids and the way they're going, I sort of lean that way. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm a Geelong supporter. Well, whoever Geelong play, I bear for Geelong. But I, I actually, um, I, I've really enjoyed what Port Adelaide did under Ken Hinckley, and I do know Ken, but when, remember when they let a few players go? Um, we're not talking about club champions here. We're talking about talented players and Chad Wingard and all that, to bring in some good young talent. So um, I've sort of uh, followed Port a bit and, and like what they're doing. So it's a little bit what they're doing off-field that affects me more uh, than certain uh, emotion. But I do, um, I feel a lot for St Kilda because they haven't won a flag and I have got a soft spot for them. But I'll be honest, some of their list management decisions I didn't think was the right way to go. So, um, yeah, I haven't been as uh, keen on some of that. But, uh, yeah, so that's me. But I, I am like you. I'm a, I'm a Geelong person through and through, uh, even if I disagree with some of the things that they do. <laughs> John, um, can, is it possible for uh, clubs and by extension coaches and recruiters, um, even supporters, I suppose, uh, can you overestimate the calibre of your list? Just sort of think that they're at a particular level only to discover through reality and the win-loss column that you're way off in terms of where you think they should be? And I'm thinking, say, as an example... Carlton at the moment, who seem genuinely shocked that they're not 
finals aspirants and yet a real examination of their list might suggest that they're exactly where they ought to be. Oh, you're spot on. It's, it's, I would say it's nearly the biggest mistake in football to overrate the list. And um, it can be hard in that because you get so um, passionate about the players, you draft and all that. That's why you've got to have people within your list management group that can put emotion aside and, and judge it as they see. Because uh, if you uh, give false hope to your supporters when you're taking them on the journey, I think you really pay for that. And Carlton is a bit of an example for that. Um, I think they've got, they've got some top-end talent, but I, I don't think the depth's there, unfortunately. And consequently, um, it's, it's, yeah, if you, if you sort of over-promise over and under-deliver, you get into a bit of trouble. I, I will admit, uh, during Geelong's time, and when I look back on it, Mark Thompson was right, at times I thought he was a, not selling our kids hard enough, you know, the Joel Corys and that. Remember when St Kilda were really pushing themselves up? And they were good. And I, through being a bit of a neat, you know, having an ego and in recruiting, was thinking, oh, Mark, why don't you talk up our kids? But I understand that now. Um, and I, so, so the biggest mistake you can make in list management is overrating your list because then you uh, do uh, every decision you make comes from that. And if, you, if you're not as good as you think, you're just, you're just going to be in a terrible position. And there's, we can name a few clubs that have done that. I think, and I actually think St Kilda's won too. So, yeah. Geelong's been pretty good at not doing that. Um, yeah, along the way. John, Matthew Pavlich is a real favourite for a lot of our Western Australian listeners. And he's been a fantastic footballer in the past. And he's doing quite nicely in the media world now. Now, tell us a little bit about he his experience as a player and particularly during the course of his draft year and the, the manner in which he was handled. And I suppose the fact that he dropped down a lot of clubs' lists because of the way in which his draft season actually unfolded. Yeah, look, we... Um, oh, gee, you're bringing up a bad mistake here with Matthew Bethlich. He's When he was a 17-year-old, we were really keen on him. Uh, we only had three picks that year. I think it was that was the Peter Street, David Clark, David Wojcicki. I might have to be fact checked on that, but I think it was. And we followed him as a seventeen-year-old, and and in so putting some context, he was a bit overweight, um, and he was like all kids a bit inconsistent. And then the next year, he came on the scene and dominated senior football early in the year had a poor championships and that put me off him and I've learned that, uh, you know, it's a bit like uh, when Greg Chappell made seven ducks in a row, anyone can make it. And so, and then he tested well for endurance. So I um, uh, was wrong and, and, and I, th I think other recruiters were a bit the same. They, they went off him a bit. He's, as I said, because he was a kid playing senior footy, it's logical to think you've had a great start to the year and your second half of the year isn't as good. Well, that happens with a lot of young players. Uh, you know, he was playing senior Sanford footy. So the signs were there he was going to be a good player. Um, and that's why I'm so strong on this uh, paper that I've written with the four pillars just to pull you back, straighten you up a bit, you know, when you start worrying about form. 
which and and try not to be in that. So Matthew Pavlich uh, was a mistake by a lot of recruiters. He should have been taken as a seventeen-year-old, um, and the, one of the said so, so try to wind up answer to your question. He looked a little bit overweight. He looked a little bit slow at times. Um, but at times also you saw games where he did show the talent that we saw and he was a special player. So it was a mistake by recruiters and a mistake by me. Yep. Uh-huh. As a Geelong supporter, I really don't know how to react to that. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly when we were looking for key forwards. Um, Absolutely. What a mission, John. Yeah. But we appreciate uh, your honesty. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Um, yep. I'm just wondering, Stephen Wells has the uncanny knack of uh, pulling players from from almost obscurity uh, to become champion players for Geelong, and we've we've seen it over the years where really really low draft picks for Geelong uh, actually turn out to be 250 plus game champions. You know, for for the club, without giving too much away, what do you think the secret is to to uh, the way Wellesley looks at things and and his ability to be able to to pluck these players out of obscurity. Yeah, um, are you thinking your Corey Enrights? Are you when you say yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, look, in yes, he he Wellesley's very um, talent focused, which you'd say, oh, so he should be. <laughs> but talent is only part of it. It has worked, but it hasn't always worked too. It's it's a bit of a risk factor. Um, it's a little, oh gee, I'm, there's a little bit of a myth there. If you're thinking Andrew Mackey, we, we saw a lot of Andrew, even though he didn't, he was pick seven, um, and that was a brave call. Um, but we'd seen a lot of him. He was talented. Corey Enright, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's where um, it was the last pick. He had all the talent. It was just that he was playing in lower level footy. I'm trying to think of the other ones you might be thinking. So there's there's a bit of luck in it. Wellesley is a bit of a gambler, um, and at times it's come off. Um, but I wouldn't overplay it. It's not. Um, there's no secret to that. If you know what I mean. Like I think a lot of recruiters that have been in it a long time have those stories. Um, I think of Johnny Beveridge with Sam Fisher, picked sixty something. Um, so yeah. I don't want to explain it. That's a little bit of a myth. There's no real um, magic to it except a bit of talent, um, good development and a bit of luck. Yeah, he did um, pick up some players who were sort of uh, later on in their uh, overlooked in previous drafts, I suppose. Tim Kelly was overlooked several times, Harry Taylor. Um, so they've been good stories. But what about the other end of the scale, John? Um, can you think of some players whom you thought this this player will definitely make it, will become a 150, 200-game player, and it, for a variety of reasons, it, it just doesn't happen? Um, can you can you think of some of those those stories where where you've been sort of looked back and gone, well, it should have worked, but it didn't? <laughs> yeah, I'll just... So you've made a good point about the senior player. I would have thought Wellesley's more than plucking the Corey Emrod has been the senior players. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, uh, Anthony. I, I think it's more your Harry Taylors, your Tim Kellys, um, even Glenn Podsy Kilpatrick. Podsy Alley, Glenn Kilpatrick, if you remember. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, players that, uh, uh, I, yeah, there's a few. Um, I don't know if people remember Danny Roach that Collingwood 
But you talk about the Matthew Pavlich draft. There was Danny Roach that they took very high. Um, I thought he would be an excellent player. Um, I found out since that he's probably didn't have the resilience to, to go with it. Um, I probably thought Jack Watts would be a better player than he, than he, than he turned out to be. I um, think um, possibly there uh, Jack was a basketballer or two. Um, uh, and, he, and he played some okay footy, but I thought he'd be, be much better. But once again, I think that gets back to pillar two. Whenever I look at players, like when we go to the games, we, you can see talent. Um, I think most recruiters get strengths and weaknesses pretty much right. It might be a cut. But where we get it wrong is mental side, where, whether they can't just take, like it's a pretty brutal game. I thought Ezra Bray would have been oh, a very good player. His yes, first year absolutely. at Geelong, um, I remember we played in the seconds. We actually played Essendon at Waverley on a cold night. And Mark Harvey, who was at Essendon at the time, he's still he's there, but he was assistant coach, came back and he said to Bomber, you've got to play him, just play him. And, and Ezra had a few other issues. So to answer your question, um, I, I, without trying to sound arrogant, I've never felt we've got the talent wrong, but it's the mental side that you can get wrong, that they just um, I can't handle the day-to-day grind of it all. And, and as I said previously, it's the hardest thing to judge. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a few. If you if you want me to do any more, or oh, so just, a lot the of them. one I was interested in, I thought you might yeah, mention uh, Kane Tanase, who I thought was oh, yes. yeah. junior talent. Yes, yeah, yes. He played fifty or sixty games, but yeah, he yeah. never he never yeah. became the player that the early glimpses. There were there were some early glimpses that you. Oh. Were, he's going to well, be we, a superstar. Yeah, I agree with you. At one stage, we thought he'd be our Chris Judd. Um, right, Kane was a bit of a... Well, first of all, uh, he was a bit of a burst player. He wasn't necessarily an endurance animal. His kick was okay, but it was never super. I think Kane is the type of player that was very good as a junior. I went to Box Hill one day and he had 42 positions in the wet. Yeah. Like, but, like, and it was just getting a bit of a joke. It was the Kane Tanay show. But I think he is an example of one, even though good person, all those, intelligent, mm-hmm. the actual grind and the work hard day in, day out, and work at your craft to improve your kicking was okay, but possibly wasn't as good as it should have been. And then he had a couple of injuries that just, just put him back. Um, so I, I would say we'd get back to that pillar two that I talk about. Um, yeah, but he's a perfect example. I, I thought he'd be a very good player, yes. Uh, John, this is a question from a very, yeah. very old footballer. Yeah. Um, current recruiters, do they, do they ever look for these particular skills? The ability to kick on their, a player's ability to kick on a non-preferred foot, the player's ability to kick a torpedo punt, and the player's ability to convert a goal from 30 metres out straight <laughs> How <laughs> <laughs> recruiters look whether they look for them at all anymore. Hang on, uh, hang on, John. I think there might be a hook in this question. <laughs> uh, well, I think we can rule out the torpedo punt. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw one kicking on the left foot. Now that's an interesting one. Um, 
Tom Hafey reckons any player that kicked on the left foot was uh, what, what, what was his term? Not the Lear rising, but um, finessing. Finessing. <laughs> yeah, it's too much finessing. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't always look at that. Um, I don't. If and oh, so kicking on the left foot. If they can do it, you notice it. I don't know if I go to a game, and I'm going to give you a player in a minute that I don't reckon could kick on their left foot. They're a pretty good player. Um, so if I see uh, someone swinging on their left and right, well, you, yeah, sometimes you do think, are oh, they showboating, but you see their talent. Um, so that's not necessarily a core thing I look for. Was Paul Chapman a good kick on his left foot? I don't remember kicking on his non Yeah, so, so uh, that gets back to... The thing that I look, and I'm going to sound like I'm going off topic here, you look for the player, I'd rather look for the player that can find time and space to, to execute his right foot in his skills. Um, Cam Mooney was a good left foot kick when he could kick both feet. If you look through that great side, I'm not too sure too many of them are great on their opposite side, so it's not a core principle I look for. I look for whether they can find time and space um, and then they can execute on their right foot. So, uh, yeah, so and what there was the third one you said after well, torpedo punt? Torpedo, and whether they can convert a goal from 30 metres. Oh, yes, no, 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 we can take that in, you, particularly the forwards, but um, you're always hopeful that the coaches can sort that out. Uh, if we remember, Nick Rewalt wasn't a perfect kick, but he started to get a routine that got better. Um, Tommy Hawkins got the yips there for a while, didn't he, with his kicking for goal? So it's one of those, I think, the recruiter handballs that to the recruiting, uh, the coaches. But we will mention, like, Brendan Favola, when he was in the under-18s, he never, ever missed a goal. And then his first couple of years, I think he did get the yips. So you look at their technique. Um, uh, but and but it, So you... you you would look more at their technique than what's happening with the goals, but you do notice if they're missing the goals. But, uh, yeah, so torpedo punts out and left foot, oh, yeah, I don't hold it too highly unless they're a left foot kick. <laughs> yeah. John, no doubt there's um, great value in nailing those first-round draft picks and being able to hang your hat on the success that you have achieved there. But tell us a little bit about picking the bottom end of the draft, which I know that you've described this as being like trying to find the last pieces to a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, well, I, yes, thank you. Um, so to me, with that, the bottom end of the draft, I, I, I like to benchmark players. Like we talked about your list before, overrating it. So to me, you should have recruiters and everyone you should from list management who in each category is sort of the lowly rated players, whoever they are. So when you, so what I'm going to say is each little club might have the depth of the draft a little bit differently depending on how good their list is. So even if you've got a late pick, you might look at a midfielder and think, well, I've got so-and-so in the draft. Let's measure him up against the player on our list that's rated lowly. And do we think he can at least be a better player than that? And then you're just even incrementally improving your list. So I'm thinking of uh, David Johnson when we took him as a, did we draft him or rookie for Messiden? Can't remember from that. But Mark Thompson's argument was there that he wanted a defensive backman and he thought uh, he was better than what we had. 
Um, so, and I think David probably played about 70 games. So, so, so to try to be succinct in the answer, uh, down the bottom of the draft, uh, the other way is when you, you back yourself, so you rate a player, say, in the top 20, and he's there at pick 45. We will, that's, so without trying to be too egotistical, I, uh, Jack Stephen, when I was at St Kilda, was rated 14th on my list. And he was there at 42, so it's, it's a no-brainer. You've got to back yourself, you take him. So in that instance, you think, well, I beat the system. We beat the system. Uh, but other times when uh, players come up that, you know, they, they might like, um, I look at a club that's done it very well is Richmond with Jaden Short, Castagna, um, Liam Baker. I reckon they did a lot of, well, uh, let's look at Liam Baker I think he's better than uh, whoever was on their list at the time. So at pick 70, we're going to take him. Um, Kane Lambert was another one. Um, they looked at their midfield at the time. This is a guy that was getting best on, or oh, best on, but in the best every week. And they thought, well, he's at least better than so-and-so that's on our list, so let's take him. So, so there's two ways to it. A player that's rated, I remember talking to Rick Barham when Ryan O'Keefe, when he got him at pick 60, he had him in his top 15. So that's, so well, you've got to take him. So that's where you back yourself. So there's two ways to it, um, where you can try and beat the system or you benchmark it against the players that aren't rated highly on your list. John, here, here we go. Here we go into the land yeah. of hypothetical. I'd just like to yeah. set a scenario for you here and just just test how how you'd go with this one. Let's right, go yeah. forward. Let's go forward twenty five years, and yeah. uh, the Geelong Football Club has the number one pick in the uh, the national draft. Yeah. In that particular year, Joel Selwood's son is one of the the better talents in the in yeah. the in the pool, but he's yeah. not the best talent going around the country at the time. Right As here. the selector, who do you go for? Do you go for the favourite son's son or do you go for the best talent in the country? <laughs> uh, I refer to the case. <laughs> um, look, I think if I was being serious and um, I'd have to go for the best talent in the country. I was talking about being a traditionalist before, wasn't I? Yeah. Um, so there's, but you, you've, you've thrown it to me and I've got to answer it that way. It's not always just to try to back out of it a little bit. Um, as black and white as that, that would come in, how big of the gap was, that would be the first process. The second process, what's our needs? So if it was a key position and um, Joel's son was a midfielder and we needed a key position in that, instance you've got to do the best thing that's right for the club i'd go the key position but if it was close and they were both uh the same type of player you know as in midfielder um and he wasn't quite as good as the number one then i would possibly lean to joel's son yes so, so i hope that answers your question a little bit so it's a bit case by case again uh but um, you'd want to be pretty sure that the that Joel's son's not too far behind the other play. And I'd, I'd just like to say uh, no pressure on Joel and Britt at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair enough, Mark. No worries. John, um, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Fremantle when I ask this particular question yeah. because yeah. Um, 
in particular for all our WA listeners, they're a club that that haven't achieved great heights, but it haven't yeah. sunk to a terrible run of lows. They've always been around the mark. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking of this question in terms of taking players that are the best players available or taking players that you meet your needs. Because to me, Fremantle always seem to be vanilla. They all seem to be the same mm. type of player. Yeah, There's no point. real differentiation between them. They don't have... They don't never seem to go for any flair. Um, which way, how do you see Fremantle and which way do you think recruiters uh, usually go at the draft for need or just for talent? Uh, gee, that's another good question. Well, um, look, recruiters, if we make the bigger, uh, tend to go for talent first, and that's not always correct as I said, because sometimes that talent isn't committed. Um, I really think, once again, it gets back to that original, I think it was the first question about your list. So if, if for example, you think you've got the vanilla, if that's the right term, that's, and, and, and I see Fremantle right now, I would say their list is solid enough. You know, mm -hmm. it's not bad. It's not bad. So they probably now... And particularly if you've got to be able to trade picks and trade up the draft, I think they should be starting to look for certain types, like what you're looking to. Like, um, I'll grab one, say like a Stevie J. Like we might, there's a Stevie J in this draft, I just think it would be good for us because of this and this and this, so, and do that. So, um, once again, I think when you're building a list from, you know, pretty low down, go for the solid uh, player and don't take that don't necessarily try to be too smart and take too big a risk just take the the really good footballers that you can build something around and then as you go where, where you see your list is like don't overrate your list don't start um uh, taking that flary player when you haven't got the cake if that makes mm -hmm. sense you know sort of the joel selwood's not the joel joel was a very good player but you know take a joel selwood rather than taking young Pickett that uh, Melbourne took that's a yes. bit of an excitement machine uh, and he went top 10, I think, or 11 because Melbourne needed that because they've got the Clayton Oliver's, they've got the, the Vineys, they've got the uh, Alex Neil Bullens, they've got those sort of players. Um, that's nothing against Clayton Oliver. I think he's an outstanding player. But they've got their foot soldiers too, so now we can go for a bit of flair. But um, I think flair before the core is the wrong way to go. Uh, for mine, yeah. Well, I, John, I can probably tell you a bit more about Fremantle too because I just don't think it's a club that wears a purple jumper and has the worst song ever heard. It's <laughs> a flag. Um, but, but the game is, the game is always evolving. Um, if we had a crystal ball here, could, could you look into it and get any, tell us anything that you think, any trends that you think we're going to see develop over the over the coming years and what the game might look like in 10 years now i'm not really good at that one but uh the thing um i still keep saying and i'm going to be pretty boring i was watching richmond the other night and just their manic pressure right so the game unless they change the rules it's it's just this manic pressure um it's closing down space closing down that so to me, it's the footballer that just has to keep coming into it. The person that makes the great decisions 
is a player that will will survive, I think, through any era. Um, you might get, um, uh, like, for, it's interesting, Richmond won their first flag with one key forward and they had all the smaller players, but then they went and got Tom Lynch. They only did that because they could. They stopped. They got sick of playing a player that just looked like a key forward and wasn't good enough. So, um, look, trends in the game. It's very hard to predict. I just think um, it gets back to if you can find players that can find time and space and are good decision makers, they will overcome the pressure and everything that that the good sides apply. Yeah. But you, that is a very hard question. <laughs> just uh, just before I ask my question, John, I'm just going to say, yeah. if there's any cards and letters over the Fremantle comment, Mark Browning is the man <laughs> to write to. And I thought Gold Coast had the worst song ever. But anyway, and apparently it's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I think it's GWS by a long way. <laughs> anyway, um, we could get sidetracked there quite easily. John, uh, yes, I'm Mark. sure recruiters like any opportunity to, to ply their craft. And we've just had the, the mid-season draft a week or so ago. What's yep. your thoughts on that as a concept? Do you, uh, do you like the idea? And, and do you think it would be of, of benefit uh, to keep into the future? Yeah, I do, Mark. Um, yeah, I do. Because um, it gives people more opportunity to play. And, and uh, it depends on the rules that they use. I don't like it um, necessarily... Um, attacking into the national draft at the end of the year. I, I, uh, but, you know, players that have been delisted or you get an injury, like particularly, like it, um, you can't predict uh, injuries. And so I don't mind it for that senior player or the player that uh, has missed draft after draft. So even if years ago, Tim Kelly um, could have been taken. So, yeah, no, I don't mind it. Um, I don't mind it. I think anything that gives clubs a chance to to you, I think was your words of recruiters to use their wares and 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 if they've got a good recruiting department and a chance to improve their list, I think it. Yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah, I think it's okay. John, before we wind up, who plays in this year's grand final? The eighth set. Ooh. Know who's playing <laughs> finals? It's done and dusted. Yeah, right here. Who plays in the grand final? Who wins? Oh, gee, rightio. Um, I think I, I would have said Geelong are around the mark. Um, we've had injuries and we're still in a good position. We have really improved our top end, I reckon. Uh, that's come through some real improvement by Cam Guthrie over two years. Tom's still good, Tom Stewart. You know, Jeremy Cameron coming into the, uh, the, the uh, mix. Isaac Smith's still looking pretty good. So uh, if we can start to, I'd like to see a few other young players down the bottom end getting a go, a few more games. So if, well, I still think we've got to improve that bottom end. So we're around the mark. Right now, I reckon the most talented side is the Western Bulldogs, even though they got stitched up by Melbourne. And I don't want to take anything away from Melbourne. They're doing very, very well. I think Western Bulldogs have nearly got all bases covered. Uh, they've missed Stefan Martin, get Tim English back. The two key forwards, Bruce and Norton, are doing very well. And that midfield's got so much depth. Um, I think they're the most talented side at the moment. Um, we're around the mark. 
Uh, I can't. So who you can ask me who's going to play? I'll say the Western Bulldogs and the Cats. <laughs> I'll, I'll, <laughs> and, take, I'll take that. And then it's 50 from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, and I've, I still want to see Port if they can get those kids back. They've, I reckon they were, uh, they've got those couple of kids injured. I reckon if Kenny can get those kids back, they could be uh, a bit of a dark horse. I, I Just purely on odds, I can't see Richmond winning three in a row. It is so hard to do. And the way they play is so draining physically and mentally. I know they were good last week. I don't know if they can keep doing it. Yeah, so I've, I've ruled Richmond out. So um, you, can, you can put that in the time capsule. I'll put you pretty silly at the end of the year. <laughs> well, we'll get you back later uh, after the grand you final. You can get into me. Third, <laughs> third step, we will see. We might have to replay that. But, John, thank you very much uh, for being on the Cat's Whiskers again. Our first double episode uh, appearer. Um, been fantastic and fascinating to listen and uh, really thank your contribution again tonight. Well done, John. Oh, thank you. And it's been an absolute pleasure and a joy. And well done. Thank you. Hello, I'm Wes Cusworth. Welcome back to the Cat's Whiskers as I'm joined by Anthony Petkovic, Mark Brunger and Mark Browning. Now, let's dig more deeply into some of the issues in a broader AFL sense. And obviously, Adam Goods has made the headlines once again. He's rejected the AFL's offer of Hall of Fame induction. Anthony Petkovic. Yeah, it's really sad to hear that, that uh, he's so disaffected with the game that uh, it's an honour that he deserves. It would be great to have him as part of it. But until he's willing to uh, be part of it, I suppose that AFL can just continue to reach out. A a really tragic situation. Um, I can understand the difficulties at play. It was unprecedented type of behaviour um, by crowds at the time, that sustained level of booing. And it and, and the more it was talked about, the more the crowds uh, were involved in it. And I can understand how it can be perceived as uh, racist in its overtones, and I have no, no argument with that. Um, but it's certainly, the game must acknowledge that this had a, a disastrous effect on Adam Goods, and it has impacted heavily his love of the game. and. Everyone associated with football needs to think about how that relationship can be repaired and it needs to be done so. Um, Time heals all wounds, but uh, it's something that uh, the game needs to work towards so that Adam Goods and AFL football can embrace each other again. Well, let's look at the fact that there's been an increased number of collision injuries in our great game. Uh, The game is always getting quicker when the ball is moved more quickly, but Obviously, just the, I suppose, the design of the rules and uh, the actual contests that occur, it's causing this spike in collision injuries once again. Look, without um, harping on it a bit too much, the, the level of injury in the game has always been there. It's got nothing to do with the length of the game, I don't think. But watching the football at the weekend, I was just alarmed at what I might call unnecessary risk taken by players in their approach to the ball. I marvel at the courage in which players uh, attack the ball and fly for marks and run um, into packs uh, running the wrong way. But some of these risks, honestly, um, they are unnecessary. And it's adding to collision injuries that we might not have had in previous years. And 
and it's something the game needs to look at. Coaches need to look at it and spectators need to adjust their thinking too in terms of the bravery we uh, sometimes expect from players. Um, and and I, I just think that some of the flying for marks and some of the, the actions undertaken by players were just unnecessarily brave. Not everyone has to be a Wayne Carey or a Jack Rewalt or a Nick Rewalt or a Jimmy Bartell. Um, those marks and things that they did were freakish in nature, but it doesn't mean that every player has to have a maniacal attack on the football. And the football public must not ex expect that week in, week out from every single player in every single situation. I suppose it, it, it comes down to the fact that over the generations that, uh, you know, the, the ethos of football has been to to attack the football, uh, to to not shirk a contest or, or anything like that. It's a, it's a sign of, I use the word inverted commas, weakness um, if you don't do that. So it's it, it's a bit of a cultural thing though, isn't it, Anthony, do you think? Or, or Mark, well, wondering what your thoughts might be, uh, that it's a, a very much a cultural thing that the players have that real gung-ho attitude to to attack the football. You meant to put your body on your line, the line for your teammates, aren't you? Mm. Um, the one stat that I heard on Offsiders on Sunday that did please me was the fact that in NRL, there's a concussion every 1.4 games. And in AFL, it's every 3.4 games. So that's good news for AFL over NRL, although that's still too many. And, and yeah, we want, we want the physical collisions and contact. But you're right, I think. Players have got to think very quickly, but they've got to think through it. That is the risk worth it. It's like the like the fieldsman in cricket that charges into the boundary fence and breaks his ankle to save one run. Um, yeah, you've, you've got to be smart about it. I think. But it's 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 not just that. It's also you know at at the coaching level as well, gentlemen, because. You know, a player's going to look at that and, you, as you say, Mark, he might stop and think about it and his thought might be, well, if I don't go for this, the coach is going to single me out uh, at half time or quarter time or whatever, or after the game uh, for not going hard at the contest. Yeah, yeah there's, exactly. there's pressure all, all through, isn't there? So there's a, there's a difference between going hard at the contest and, and, and having a duty of care to yourself, your teammates and your opponents, there is an element there that some, some of these actions are just, whilst incredibly brave and understandable, it's not smart football. I know right, Jonathan Brown, didn't he? he? He had so many injuries like that. Yes. That it actually yeah. curtailed his career. I mean, he was a great player. Everyone remembers the couple that came off, that he ran with the flight of the ball and he marked it, and it's inspirational. But replay the half dozen that he got wrong and the football that he missed and the other the teammates and oppositions that he hurt, you know, not everyone is six foot four and a half and weighs 120 kilos. Mm. All right, Max King has reached out to his former schoolboy coach in Matthew Lloyd for a bit of goal-kicking assistance. Mark Brunger, is St Kilda become a little too insular with regard to this one? Oh, look, I, th I think that's uh, summed it right up, Wes. Uh, I think that St Kilda might just need to 
uh, stop being a little bit concerned with how it might impact on the view of their coaching staff that they can't provide that support. And, you know, he's got, uh, you know, one of the greats uh, from, from Hawthorne, Jared Roughhead there on the coaching staff. But as we know, learning and, you know, obviously in particular for a few gentlemen who have been teachers, uh, sometimes your style works and has results. And sometimes someone else's message is, is what actually resonates with the person. And I just wonder whether having a different voice and a different aspect and a different viewpoint that, that uh, Matthew Lloyd might actually be able to cure Max King's yips at the moment and make him a better player. And, and I don't think that reflects anything at all on their coaching staff at, at all. I think it just reflects that different people learn in different ways and different voices or different thoughts have more impact than, than other thoughts. There's no right or wrong way about it. Yeah, I would have thought if a legend of the game like Matthew Lloyd is, is um, available to assist your player with an aspect of his game that it is found wanting, uh, you'd be all over it. If it was your son, you'd want that assistance. Um, but then again, maybe Max King doesn't need assistance in the eyes of St Kilda. His coach gave him coaches' votes in the game where he kicked one goal five against Geelong. So maybe there's nothing wrong with his kick. What about bringing Peter Hudson over from Tassie and getting him to go learn, teach him how to do a flat punt? Only if he lands in a helicopter in the middle of Optus uh, Stadium or something like that, or uh, Moorabbin. That's all, uh, all quite possible. Now, what's with talking about Hawthorne? What's with Tom Mitchell and trade talk and wanting to get out of Hawthorne? Well, I don't quite know what to make of this one. Uh, there's, there was a report in the, in the paper this week that, uh, that uh, Tom had indicated that he was happy to be considered to, uh, to transfer uh, to, uh, to any other Victorian teams. And I just wonder whether this is the... Uh, the sort of the uh, the calm before the storm for Hawthorne because I think they're going to uh, have an interesting couple of years uh, over the next couple of years where they try and rebuild that club and the fact that one of your better players is saying, hey, I don't mind if I'm traded out, that's, uh, that's a bit of a warning siren to me, boys. He clearly hasn't been uh, read the press release from Jeff Kennett, the president, who says <laughs> that Hawthorne will be back contending for the flag within two years. Clearly Tom Mitchell doesn't believe Jeff Kennett. Well, the lure of finals has caused a number of players to change clubs over the years, hasn't it? They, if they feel they're going to be locked down the bottom part of the ladder for years to come, they, they tend to sort of drift out. A number of players have done that, going right back to the 70s when North Melbourne used the 10-year rule and the likes of Stan Ells and John Rantel and Doug Wade even went to North Melbourne because they wanted to play finals. That was their, that was their dream and desire. So... That may be behind Mitchell's thinking, for sure. I wonder if I throw a curly one to all three of you, uh, do you think he could find a place at the Cattery? No. That's a pretty definitive no, Anthony. No, Anthony's always quite emphatic when he says no, and I don't think he even needs to say it three times this week to make his point. <laughs> he my, my students at Sacred Heart are used to hearing that particular word. <laughs> one, one, one Hawthorne player every five years, I think, is the limit we can stand at Geelong anyway, isn't it? Yes. We've got, one. We've got a good one, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. Now, tell us about the Carlton Review, the Teague train of things. Is it starting to come off the rails a little bit, is it? Well, it certainly is, because uh, Carlton just don't know where they are at. They built up such high expectations at the start of the year. 
even in the Sunday Herald Sun, Mickey Malthouse's column, which, mind you, is the best bit of fantasy writing since J.R. Tolkien was uh, putting together The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but even Mickey was pumping their tyres up. Um, a certainty, he called them. And the, the Carlton public and the supporters and the members and the uh, power brokers seem to be on board. Um, the coaching staff talked them up. They brought in some big, high-profile recruits. And it just hasn't happened. And the fact is, Carlton are about where they should be. And um, I just don't know what happens when clubs build up such high level of expectations amongst their supporters that the incoming president, before he's even taken the reins, he doesn't choose to take over at the end of the football season, is uh, kick-starting a review of everything to do with Carlton. It'll be fascinating to watch... Uh, the uh, bodies fly around there at Optus, at Optus Oval and um, we'll just see what happens. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be sacking a coach mid-season again, would they? Surely. Well, any review, you, you would have to say, you've, that you're going to have a, a forensic look at the football department and the coach. So it's anything's possible once you have a review. And, of course, already they haven't even announced who's going to do the review and John Barker has already decided... I've had enough boys, I'm out. So he's, he's going in the, in the draft and he's not even waiting to see who does the, uh, does the review. So that's, that's, that's warning signs for me. It's not the review that counts, mate. You work out your findings before you hold the review. That's the, that's the, that is the point of having a review. Thank you, you, thank you, you sir. You, thank you, you, Sir Humphrey Appleby. Thank you, you very much. You set the clear parameters of what the review is going to find and you work diligently towards that. And John's read the writing there already and he knows he's gone. Good on you, John. Um, and others will no doubt follow. And you wouldn't want to be uncontracted. That's all I can say when it comes to reviews because the people who are not under contract for the following season usually find themselves out the door and John Barker was one of those. You think, uh, do you think uh, Justin Lepich might have seen the uh, developments of uh, John Barker and uh, just raised the old antennae just a little bit more? I think you're you're probably on the money there because uh, you know w when the power brokers get involved and and I'm available by the way to do the review I'll do it for them for free. Yeah. It'd be very succinct. Um, but Carlton have been a basket case for a long time. Um, it's two decades now where they've barely played finals. They've won a bunch of wooden spoons. Uh, their last finals appearance was 2013 at the expense of Essendon, remember? They didn't actually make the finals. They were promoted into the finals at Essendon's expense after the drug saga. Um, they've gone through coaches. They've, uh, they've, 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 we had the green shoots there that were, were, were promised uh, and it just hasn't eventuated. And, and, and then they've sown the seeds of discontent amongst their own supporter base by, by talking themselves up when they weren't ready and uh, that is that is football suicide. You know what? I I uh, am probably going to alienate all of our Carlton supporters when I say this, but after years of being arrogant and uh, carrying on like a tub of worms, they got caught out. Uh, the backside fell out of the club, and I've got to tell you, it's absolutely beautiful to watch it unfold at the moment. And the longer it lasts, the happier I'll be. Yes, I'm I'm enjoying it immensely. May it continue for many many years to come. Well, I'll placate my good friend, Craig Dunn in Gambia, who's an avid Blues supporter, passionate. And I reminded him this week that uh, Geelong had a lot of reviews in 2006, before 2007. Uh, Melbourne had some, a couple of disappointing years before this year. 
the darkest hour can come before the dawn. Yes. But, um, and, it, you know, it can cling to the fact, as you mentioned, the 2013 final, that Carlton, despite it being their worst era, are the only club ever to win a final from ninth. <laughs> Good point, good point. Absolutely. Just, just finally, lads, uh, poor Sydney crowds last week, disappointing, but let's hope they come out in droves for the Big Freeze 7 on Monday at the SCG. Yeah, look, I'm, I uh, I must admit I would have would have preferred to see this at the Adelaide Oval, but uh, I, I know that COVID rules and regulations uh, mean it had to be a little bit different, but I really just hope that uh, that Sydney understand the importance of this game and 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 what it means to Victorians and and you know football people in general with with the great Neil Danaher and and his involvement in it. I, I understand that the uh, the slide will take place at the MCG. That part won't actually take place in Sydney, uh, but I just hope that the the Sydney football fans understand the significance of having a big crowd there for a big game and a very important game on the AFL calendar. Yes, uh, Sydney, AFL has been in Sydney for nearly 40 years now. Um, out in Western Sydney, they had a top of the table clash the other the other night between the, the Lions and the Demons and they barely filled up a corner of the ground. I thought that was really disappointing. So they really need to put in a bit of an effort and get behind the game next Monday because um, yeah, I just wonder how it's going up there, really. The Swans have got a niche, but beyond that, how well is the game really doing in that town? It's very manufactured, especially in the west of Sydney there. Um, the crowd was so poor that uh, the broadcasters had to uh, add, add sound effects to the crowd to make it watchable on television. It's quite sad that that, that, that game, two, two high-calibre um, potential grand finalists, um, couldn't draw a crowd. Well, with the good news, I suppose, is the the Victorian government, as as we go to uh, to air, or as we record uh, the program or produce the program, uh, are indicating that uh, they're hopeful uh, that at the end of this current lockdown that uh, we'll be able to return to to some crowds at AFL games, and they're suggesting maybe around twenty thousand might be the mark. So. The uh, football star Victorians might be uh, might be about to get some games, and and I think that's a good result if we can get at least twenty grand in that. That creates more atmosphere than any NRL game ever ever does because I think they're lucky to crack ten thousand at most of their games. Uh, so uh, so that's some good news, hopefully on the horizon for Victorian footy fans. Oh, it'll be great because we've have uh, a Geelong Western Bulldogs game scheduled for Cadinia Park um, in the next round on the uh, Friday night, which will be fantastic if it can go ahead with a crowd terrific and terrific program once again lads thank you so much for your contribution the cat's whiskers is accessible on a range of podcast platforms along with being heard throughout perth on sport fm 91.3 on behalf of the entire team i'm wes cussworth saying thanks for tuning in and we hope you can join us again next week